Well, here we are. It's 2016. Can you believe it's two? Th- Thank you. I wasn't even sure I was going to live this long, and here we are. Um, so, um, before we let Bridge Kids go, there's an announcement of the program about congregational meetings. We've got two coming up in January. One is an informational meeting, and one is the annual meeting. The annual meeting is where our membership votes on important decisions like next year's budget. Big item we have coming this year is we have some bylaw changes. And you'll be able to vote on those if you're a member. The informational meeting is for those who have questions about the bylaw changes and the budget. You don't know what those questions are yet because we haven't sent you the bylaws or the budget. That's coming in the mail. So look at January 24th and January 31st uh, and put those on your calendars. Bridge Kids, thank you for being here. You may go to your classes. Today we're back in Galatians after kind of a break. Galatians chapter 4 beginning at verse 21. In March of 2011, the New York Times featured a story about an ex-convict named Robert Salzman. After growing up with what had been described as a horrific childhood, Salman spent most of his adult years in prison. When he was released in 2001, Salzman found it very difficult to enjoy his freedom outside of the prison walls. He had been a prisoner for so long. He was used to a harsh life of strict rules and living in a very tiny cell that when they slammed the door very hard, it was pretty secure. Salzman continually struggled outside to pay his rent and he ended up living uh, quite often in a homeless shelter. In 2010, Salzman met a writer and movie director, Rashad Ernesto Green, while he was riding on a New York subway. Green was looking for a hardened, ex-convict kind of person to be in his film. And after the audition, to everyone's surprise, Salzman got the part in the film. In the ensuing months, Salzman found it hard to believe that he had actually been released from prison. On one occasion, while filming on location at a Long Island penitentiary, after a time of exhaustion, Salzman fell asleep on a cot cot in a prison cell. And when he woke up, he became very confused about his Situation. He thought he was still a prisoner, and he began to weep uncontrollably. He was in despair. But after a time, slowly, it began to dawn on him that he was actually a free man. And he became overwhelmed with joy to know that he could get up from this prison cell, and he could walk outside and he could go outside of the prison walls whenever he wanted to. On the other side of those prison walls, he could enjoy his new life of freedom. It took him nine years to understand that he was free. I believe that many Christians are confused also about their freedom that they have been given in Christ. And sometimes Christians uh, live under rules that God has not placed them under. 
Sometimes there are rules that are self-imposed about who we think we are and who we think we should be and what we should accomplish. And we feel like a failure if we don't do those things. And sometimes we live under the rules of other people. And we have these, we, we live under and we feel guilty when we fail or we feel like we're entrapped or enslaved. And we're not necessarily following God's instructions. We're living under someone else's rule. And we don't experience the freedom we have in Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, a passage we're going to focus on today. We're going to be talking about freedom. This is what Paul has been talking about in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 4. And by the way, this is a great time to go back and read. You know, we haven't been in Galatians for a while. We're picking up on Paul's argument here. Today, this is a theological argument. This is not like a fun, exciting gripping subject. It's important. It's very important to the Apostle Paul, and and you'll see that. But you're going to have to, uh, as uh, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Lohr, used to say, you're going to have to put on your thinking cap and track uh, Paul's argument here. But this is an argument he's been making since Galatians chapter 3. He's all about... uh, Helping the Galatians understand the freedom they have in Christ. Let me go back, and uh, I'm going to read Galatians uh, chapter 1. And this is the, this is the problem that, that, that Paul has been addressing from the beginning. And it's influenced the church greatly. People are pretty confused about this. And so the apostle, this is what it's about. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Paul says... I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. The Apostle Paul has strong opinions about this subject. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for the sins of all people. And that the sin penalty has been paid for and no one has to pay for their own sins if they place their faith in Christ because that's God's one requirement. Trust Jesus to be saved from the penalty of your sin. You're going to have to pay for your own sin if you don't let Jesus do it. And it's called grace. It's God's favor. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We're never going to deserve it. It's by grace. It's a gift from God. It's not about works. It's not about performance and how many things you do. It's about what God has done for you in sending Jesus. That's what we celebrated at Christmas. That's what Easter is all about. Okay? Now, what's happened in the churches in Galatia, a group has come in, a group of outsiders who's saying, no, this Christianity thing, you're all off here. What you really need to do, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you you really have to keep the law too, the law of the Old Testament. There's 613 commands there, and you have to keep those too. And Paul says, no way. That's not what the gospel is. It's believe in Jesus and what he's done, and that's it. Okay? But they're saying, no, you got to keep the law. You need to believe and be circumcised. That's like keeping the law. It only affects the males, though. It's kind of... Partial there, I think. Okay, so that's what the problem that the Apostle Paul is addressing in the whole book. Now, let's go to verses 21 through 23. 
Uh, First, we start with something you should understand about freedom, verses 21 through 27. Something you should understand, and you have an outline in your program that you can follow along, take notes if you like. Here's what you should understand. So this is like a knowledge thing. Verses 21 through 23. Remember, Abraham had two sons. And so Paul's already talked about Abraham. He's already talked about how the Abrahamic covenant and the promises of God, and we're going to hit those again today. Uh, Verses 21 through 23. Here's 21. Tell me, Paul says, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware what the law says? So, Apostle Paul, those people who want to have add the law on top of everything in Christianity, it's like this heavy burden that you add on top and it's going to weight you down um, that God didn't place on them, that somebody else had placed it on them. And he says, tell me, you who want to be under this burden, are you not aware what the aware of what the law actually says? And so what he's going to do is going to go back to the book of Genesis now uh, for information that's going to answer uh, some of the issues that they're facing here. The Galatians are new Christians, but they are interested in the law that says, uh, in, in adding the law. The law says no one can be justified by the law. We've already seen that in the argument in Galatians. So we're going to turn to Genesis that Paul uses as an example, okay? It's a complicated example, and here's what he says, verse 22. For it is written, Abraham had, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by uh, a free woman. Um, and I'm not going to get into the subject of slavery here. It existed. Abraham had other sons besides the two. Abraham had sons after these two sons. These are the first two sons. And these are the two sons that the Apostle Paul wants to use to make his point. Verse 23. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine divine promise. So, number one, one was born by a slave woman, and her name was Hagar. You can go back in Genesis and read the story. And her son was Ishmael, and He was born the ordinary way. What does that mean, the ordinary way? Well, he was conceived just like your children were conceived, if you have children, or just like you were conceived since you were probably a child, okay? The ordinary way, sexual relationship. That's the ordinary, natural way. That's how Ishmael was conceived. Now, if if you know the story, there was a problem here. God made a promise to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. You're going to have descendants. There's going to be a great number of them. Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 18, I think maybe 21 or 22, repeated over and over to Abraham. So Abraham would get it and understand it. It was going to be a God thing. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, was aware of this, and he did what any good woman would do. No, not quite, but Since God seemed to be slow about keeping his promise, Sarah came up with an idea on her own that she could solve God's problem. And she could bring her servant in, Hagar, and Hagar could get pregnant by Abraham because that was the custom of the day. It was okay in that day, at least according to the culture of the day, the culture of the world. And so she could bring um, 
Hagar. Hagar could get pregnant by Abraham. Abraham could have a son, and the promise would be fulfilled. Guess what? Not God's plan at all. Secondly, one was born by a free woman, Sarah, not because she was so great, and her, uh, and her son was born as a result of promise. Um, so Ishmael was not what God had promised, not what um, you know, Sarah dreamed this whole idea. You know, Ishmael wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Sarah dreaming it up. Okay, here's an example. I don't know if this ever, if you've ever seen this happen before. Sometimes females try to manipulate the circumstances to get it their way. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Sarah tried this, didn't work. So the lesson is don't try to manipulate your circumstances to get God to do what you want. That's for both male and female, by the way. Isaac was the son that was promised. It's in the book of Genesis. How did that happen? Abraham was old. Sarah was old. Sarah was too old to have a baby, biologically. And so, supernaturally, God changed that and enabled Abraham and Sarah to conceive. It was a miracle. It was not natural. It was not the ordinary way. It was to prove to Abraham and to Sarah that God keeps his promises. And by the way, he keeps his promises to you too. And you can count on that. And so Isaac was born. He was a miracle baby. When, both, when, when Sarah was too old um, physically to have a child. Now, verses 24 through 27. So there are two sons. They came by two different women. Verses 24 through 27, figuratively, these women represent two covenants. This is where it just seems a little bit complicated. By the way, I, I don't think you could study the Bible without Paul saying this and, com- and conclude with what Paul says. This is an illustration because the Apostle Paul says it's an illustration, and by the authority of God, it illustrates his point. This isn't one where you could just go along and deduce it or inductively see this uh, in Scripture. Verses 24 and 25. Hagar, the slave woman, represents the Mosaic Covenant or the law. Let me remind you what the Mosaic Covenant is. The reason I remind you is because we just did a 20-chapter series on the book of Exodus to learn how we got the law of the Old Testament. It includes the Ten Commandments that Moses received on Mount Sinai. Remember that long study we did in the book of Exodus, and it was to prepare us, because there's so much in the New Testament about this. And here's an example. Uh, Verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively, metaphorically. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears the children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. And it's more about being slaves to the law. Verse 25, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai because Paul said so. 
Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because the Apostle Paul says so in this illustration because she is in slavery with her children. Paul is moving very fast. So let me try to break it down. Hagar represents Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. Two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Two women, Hagar and Sarah. One represents slavery to the law, and one represents promises of God. Okay? One represents the Mosaic covenant, one represents the Abrahamic covenant. I didn't say this would be simple. This is Paul's argument here. So Hagar represents Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law. Remember in Exodus 19, Moses received the law of God. God came down to the mountain. Moses went up, and the people were below. And that's where God got the Ten Commandments. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, or whatever the cartoon was, this is the part that fits. Hagar also corresponds with the city of Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means first century Jerusalem, representing all of Israel, all the Jewish religion of the first century. They crucified Jesus. They rejected Christianity. They saw their religion as superior. And it was all about the rules. They had 613 commands. Then they had a whole bunch of rules on top of those that he weren't even in the Old Testament. Rules like, okay, they, everybody knew that you were supposed to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's an example of a scripture in the Old Testament that was a command. Well, they added to that by saying you can't spit on the Sabbath because you might water the grass and cause the grass to grow, and that would be work, and you'd be violating the commandment. So they, added, they actually added stuff like that. Or they said, don't walk on the grass on the Sabbath. Why? Because you might actually pick up a grass seed or some kind of seed, and you might carry it, and it might get planted, and that would be work, and you'd be violating the Sabbath. And that's how silly it got, okay? It has nothing to do with God. Okay, secondly now, we're going to go to verses 26 and 27. Oh, let's do the map. Map, thank you. So, this is a map we used when we did the book of Exodus. We saw this a lot. For example, you see Goshen and Lower Egypt. That's where when God's people went into Egypt, they, they lived there and became slaves there, and, they, and God had to free them there, and God used Moses to lead them out. And when they came out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, and you can see down in the south in the, peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula, you see Mount Sinai. Moses met God there in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, and Moses got the law there in Exodus 19 and 20 on Mount Sinai. Paul is saying Hagar represents Mount Sinai where the law came. Okay? Now look up in Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem is a very important city. It's where the temple was. Um, it's, it was sort of the religious capital of the Jewish world. And Jesus was crucified there. The church got its start there in Jerusalem. And Paul is also saying Hagar represents Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, first century, and the whole religious system of Jerusalem in the first century. 
Verses 26 and 27, Sarah, the free woman, represents the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant of promise. The Abrahamic covenant was very important. We've talked about it on several occasions. One of the things I want you to see is the promise comes six to 700 years before the law. The promise was first. It came to, came to Abraham. It goes clear back to the Genesis chapter 12. I've said to you before, the Bible is tied together from Genesis through Revelation with these promises. That's why it's important that you read your Bibles and, and see these things for yourselves. Um, in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, God approached Abraham. It was a God thing. Abraham didn't go looking for God. God approached Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave the country you're in. I want you to go where I'm going to show you. And this is what I'm going to do. And one of the things he's going to do is he was going to give him descendants. And they were going to, that there would be a blessing to the entire world through the, a descendant of Abraham. And he goes on to tell him later that there, this would be like the stars in the sky. That's how many you would have. It's like the sand on the seashore. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And, um, and God promised him a, some real estate, the, the promised land. Now, one of the things I want to say is that the promises of God, the promises God gave to Abraham supersede the law of Moses. And we saw that already. The law of Moses was just added alongside the promises. It was for a period of time, about 1,500 years, and now the law is gone. The promises remain. Okay, verse 26. But Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Now, Paul is making a big jump for us here. He's jumping to a Jerusalem that is above that we don't know much about yet. And he's assuming that you do know a lot about the Bible and a lot about the Old Testament. Um, Abraham is, re- or excuse me, the Apostle Paul is referring to Sarah that represents the Abrahamic covenant that came through Isaac and not Ishmael. Uh, she is our mother, um, and she is free. This is all connected with back with Sarah and the Abrahamic covenant. Hagar represents the current Jerusalem of the first century, that whole religious system that got out of whack, not what God intended, made up rules that weren't God's. Sarah represents another Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that is above, a Jerusalem that is not yet. That's really important. Now, verse 27, Paul is going to go on and he's going to quote Isaiah 54.1 to even make it more complicated for us. He says, Be glad, barren woman. You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her husband. What's that about? Isaiah 54, verse 1. Is, this is a, he's using a quote, and it goes back to Israel's history when they were in captivity in Bab- Babylon. And the application was, Israel was the barren woman. And uh, she had become barren. She, she, she uh, was sent into captivity because she had disregarded God. 
And there she got her act together and God brought her back and she's going to have more descendants. That's what God is saying. And uh, that's what Isaiah 54 is about. Um, If you remember, Hagar got her husband or got her man, Abraham, in the natural way for conception. Sarah was barren and had a miraculous conception. Um, Her offspring was a work of God, a spiritual work. And um, because, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Sarah, here, here, here's a little thing Paul's saying here. Sarah's uh, offspring is going to be way greater than anybody who came to faith in the Old Testament times. Anybody who had a relationship with God in the Old Testament times. Sarah's uh, descendants spiritually are, are going to way outnumber um, the old religious system. Uh, the people that are descendants of Sarah in this spiritual way are going to populate the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above. Now let's learn about this city. What, what about this Jerusalem above? And we're going to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 16. So follow along here. Um, and by faith, this is, a, this is where the heroes of faith is mentioned. Hebrews chapter 11, it's a faith chapter. It's all about great people of faith, examples for us. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. At least eventually she did. Verse 12, And so from this one man, that would be Abraham, and he, has, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. seashore. Next slide. And these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised They only saw them and welcomed them. They embraced them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. This is really a key concept here. They realized, Abraham realized there were some great promises here, but Abraham did not experience them. He he experienced the beginning. He experienced the promised son, Isaac. That was the main thing He, he, he actually got. And all these promises were not yet. There's so much here in the Christian life that are like that. We have promises that are not yet. They're coming. Jesus said in this world, we'll have trouble. Abraham and Sarah had trouble. They didn't get everything. And we're going to experience difficult things. But we have the promises and they're still true and you can count on them. They are going to be fulfilled. Let's follow this through. And so they admitted they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You know, you would think if you were connected with God, you'd like own everything. God God told Adam and Eve to rule over everything. Uh, Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Abraham went out looking for a country. He left Ur of the Chaldees, Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, looking for a country. God said, go, Abraham, I'm going to show you a land. Go. So Abraham went. 
But he's not going to get it. He's going to go, but he's not going to get it. Next slide. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, or of the Chaldees, which was also Babylon, they would have had opportunity to return. Abraham didn't go back. Instead, they were longing for a better country just like you and me. We want something better. This is not everything. This is not all there's going to be. That you want something better is good. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. Abraham was looking for this city. He didn't even know he was looking for a city. He was looking for something that had eternal foundations, something that God was going to bring the promises in. A place where there's going to be no more pain and no more sin and no more tears, no more death. That's what Abraham was looking for. And God prepared it for them. Let's jump now um, to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. So the writer of Hebrews here is um, kind of a similar argument to the Hebrew readers who are Hebrew Christians who are, are fascinated with the law of the Old Testament and want to keep bringing the law back. He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm. You know what this is? This is Exodus 19. This is where Moses received the law. It was a, it was a uh, they literally feared God and trembled with this experience when God gave them the law. God came down on Mount Sinai. Verse 19, to, trumpet, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken. When they heard God's voice, it scared them to death. Okay, next slide. Next slide. Because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. God said, don't touch the mountain, don't come to the mountain. Only Moses. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come. This is, this is, not, what they're, this is not for the Hebrews. This is not for the Galatians. This is for the Hebrews. This is for the Galatians, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. What's Mount Zion? Where Jerusalem is, city on a hill. Mount Zion is the hill. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, city above. Next slide. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. This city is for the church. Okay? You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that which is not yet is going to be. There is going to be a city prepared for God's people. It's going to include the church. It's going to include you if you've placed your faith in Christ. The Apostle John gives a great description of this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. 
This is the city above. This is those who are connected with Sarah, the free woman, descendants of Isaac by faith. This is the promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. This is the city with the eternal foundations. The new Jerusalem, city above, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Next slide. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. So God is going to come down in this city, and, and they will be his people, and God himself will, uh, will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And Genesis is connected to Revelation. And the promises of God. And there's a time coming that's not yet. And we have to remember that. It's not yet. It's coming. We have a lot of promises right now. This one is not yet. Okay. That's something you need to understand. Now something you should experience with freedom. Verses 23 uh, through uh, 31. I think that's 28, yeah. I have different numbers on my notes. Um, Okay, something you should experience with freedom. First of all, verse 28, remember that your identity coincides with the children of promise. Verse 28, now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. That's the whole point we've been making. I hope I don't have to say much more. Uh, we have an inheritance. It's Revelation 21. We have a position. We have papers. We have, we have, a, we are, we have a citizenship to heaven. Uh, we are no longer to be slaves to sin. We are no longer to be slaves to an old way of thinking. Legalism is about adding rules to God's rules. A lot of enslavement happens right here. In your own mind. It's so important that you align your thinking with Scripture, your identity that you have in Christ, not your best reasoning without the Scripture. Um, Verse 29 Remember, there is a war between the flesh and the spirit. We're going to get into this in chapter 5. There's a war between the flesh and the spirit. Verse 29 says, At that time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. The son born according to the flesh was Ishmael. And he was older. And Isaac was the younger son. And, and Ishmael could see. Isaac's kind of the favorite here. Because he's Sarah's son. And he's Abraham's son. And I'm just the son of Hagar. And what did he do? He ridiculed Isaac. He persecuted Isaac. And um, there's this tension that began right here. The son born according to the flesh in the natural way, born to Hagar, persecuted the son born to, to Sarah. And because of the power of the Spirit, because it was a miraculous birth. And it is the same now says the Apostle Paul. You know that Ishmael's descendants have persecuted um, Isaac's descendants for hundreds of years. Those of the flesh still persecute those of the spirit. 
you should not be surprised if unbelievers persecute Christians. You should not be surprised by that. And we are going to be reminded there's even a war going on in, our, in ourselves. There's a war of the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is me. The flesh is my old self, my old nature, my self-centered part. And there's something new that Christ has done. It's a new capacity to please God. There's a war uh, between my flesh and my spiritual nature empowered by the Holy Spirit. Same is true for you. We should never be surprised that there's a war going on in ourselves, that there's a struggle in ourselves. It's normal as a child of God. We're going to see this in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, verse 30, you must choose to live the new life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 says, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Back to the book of Genesis. What happened? Sarah could see what was happening between the boys. Sarah could see the persecution. Sarah could see that her son was the son of promise. And that Hagar's son was not the son of promise. And so Sarah asked to have Hagar and Ishmael removed from the family. Whether you like that or not, that, Isaac, that Ishmael would not grow up and have the same benefits as Isaac because Isaac would receive Abraham's inheritance and Ishmael would not. By the way, that was the law of the day as well. The Hammurabi Hammurabi Code said slave woman's son was basically had the same status and could not be in a different status. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. The Apostle Paul writes here, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This is a person without Christ. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. Next slide. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth about Jesus. This is even what Paul would want the Galatians to see. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, your old life your self-centered life, before you came to faith in Christ, to put off your old self. It's a decision. It's a conscious choice, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And, And you have a choice in this. You don't have to live in the old way, in the in the power of the flesh, and to do things um just because you feel like it. You can choose a higher course of life about following Christ and put on the new self. I didn't say it would be easy, but I said you can choose it. Verse 31, live in freedom. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is Paul's point. We're free. We have freedom in Christ. We're not to be slaves to sin. We're not to be slaves to the law. We're not to be slaves to the old way of thinking. We have freedom in Christ. And then we're going to jump to chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then 
do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And that's how we're going to begin the message next week with verse 1. And this sort of just ties uh, this chapter 4 with chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So, messages, don't fall back into slavery. Don't fall back to slavery, to sin. Don't let something else be a God in your life. Don't let food be a God in your life and become the most important thing. Don't let sex or pornography become the most important thing in your life. Don't let alcohol or drugs become a God and become the most important thing in your life. Don't let a boyfriend or a girlfriend become the most important thing in your life. Don't even let a family member become more important than God. Don't let fear, don't let anxiety be the thing that rules your life because you're, you're rejecting the promises of God. You're saying what God says is not good. It's, it doesn't work. It's a, what God says is a failure. In John 8, 31 and 32... Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is truth that will set you free. He says, if you continue, embrace it, live it, walk in it, seek to understand it, study it, make it a part of your life, And when you know the right course to take, follow it. Take it. That's following Christ. Okay? Now, just a suggestion here, 2016. What a great time to start afresh in a commitment to Scripture this year. We all have ways we read the Bible. We dabble in it sometimes. Sometimes we get into really good plans and we fall away from it. How about renewing that in 2016? You're going to pursue the truth. You want to just keep growing. No, I'm not trying to make you say you got to be perfect. I'm just saying pursue it. This is how you're going to learn. This is how you're going to understand. This is how it's going to nourish your spiritual life is through uh, learning, reading, memorizing God's word. And the truth will set you free. And there's so many things you'll be able to discern because you see it as it aligns with, with truth, with Scripture. Lastly, Philippians 4.13. This is one of my favorite verses of all time, and I really like it when I face hard times because I'm reminded that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do everything that God wants me to do. When it comes to obedience, when it comes to temptation, I can do Everything that Christ wants me to do with his strength. Not with my own strength. I'm going to fail big time in my own strength. Self-effort, that gets me into a legalism about trying to perform good things without God. That's crazy. It's about being humble. It's about I'm weak. I need Christ. I need his strength. I can do all things. And so all I have to do, I need to ask Christ. I need your help. I need to tell him. I need to ask for help. When I'm tempted, when I, when I forget, 
I need to ask. I can do all things through Christ. That's a great encouragement to me. And guess what? This is the promise of God. It's one of our promises that we have right now, today. It's true. There are a lot of promises, but this is just one. Okay, we're going to come now to a time, uh, and we're going to end this service with a time of communion. It's a time that we um, are called to remember. And, you know, you look back on 2015, what do you remember about God? What do you remember that God has done for you in 2015? As we move into 2016, the great thing about God commanding the church to celebrate communion is we all come, we are all on the same boat, in the same boat. We're all sinners, every one of us. It's not like better sinners than other sinners. We're just sinners. We missed the mark. We failed. The great thing is Jesus died for us and he paid the price for our sin. And our sin has been paid for. That's awesome. God has called us to take this time and just remember that. You, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you're forgiven. Sometimes Christians won't forgive themselves. And I want to say, who are you? If God can forgive you, why do you place yourself above God and won't forgive yourself? Um, So, we want to remember his death. We're going to... We're going to take the bread, and it reminds us of uh, his body that was nailed to a cross. We're going to take the cup, and that cup reminds us of his blood uh, that was shed at the cross. And that blood was a sacrificial payment and of infinite value that paid for the sin penalty of the entire world. You could calculate, if you could calculate your sin penalty and everybody in this room and everybody on earth right this minute and everybody that's ever been born and everybody that hasn't been born yet... Jesus' death paid for all of it and is more valuable than the sin penalty. Bigger. And that's why we can say, thank you, God. I don't deserve it. And you can, we can have a new start here today. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to pause now, and we're grateful for Jesus We've just come through the Christmas season and been reminded about how you sent your son and he came to this earth as a baby. We know from scripture um, that he lived his life in a way that totally honored you and that he lived without sin and it's uh, pretty amazing to think about that that possibility and yet he did and uh, you were pleased. And then uh, out of obedience to you by his own choice and by your um, leadership, Jesus died on the cross, and in doing so, he paid the penalty for our sin, and, and, and your wrath is satisfied against sin because of Jesus' payment, and we say thank you. We recognize that we don't deserve salvation, we don't deserve our sins to be forgiven, we don't deserve to have a relationship with you, we don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us, but you have given those things as a gift because of Jesus, and we say thank you. Today, we thank you for the bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus. We thank you for the cup that reminds us of the blood that Jesus poured out on our behalf. And we are grateful. And God, it's my prayer that today we'll be able to go forth from here with a new start, with with, um, 
sins forgiven and recognition that we have a clean slate. Scripture says that we should examine ourselves before this time and just make sure that everything's okay between us and God. And so uh, just do that as you're sitting there. You can talk to God. You, you know if there's anything you should confess to Him and just ask for His forgiveness. And may you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. For Jesus' sake, amen.